This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing cutting off your nose to spite your face. Mike, that's quite a title for today's podcast. It used to be something that like my dad would tell me, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. And I never thought about what it meant. So <laughs> I, I was thinking the other day, let me find out what this means. So I went to, it says, doing something that may cause more damage than, than what, you're, uh, what you're trying to fix. And it's funny because I see a lot of people do this in their financial world. And uh, they put a lot of extra effort to fix something, and they cause more problems than the problem they were trying to solve. And I continually see this. So it's interesting. We see it even with our own clients, some of who have been working with us for 10, 20 years or more. And they'll go outside of us, and maybe it's because of a discussion they've had with a, a friend or a family member, and they think they've got an idea, and they'll go and try and implement that idea, and they can mess up a pretty good plan. So what are some of the areas that we're talking about? Where do we see most of this happen, Mike? One of the big things is estate planning. And a lot of people come in, and some people get very angst about probate. Now, probate, as we've said before, is about 1.5%. In Ontario. In Ontario. And uh, people get very concerned about that because they think, well, if I have a million dollars, it's $15,000 for every million, which is feels like a lot of money. But then they go and they decide we're going to go and do everything to avoid this cost. So they start to set up structures to go and avoid probate. And the problem with these structures is they're sometimes more expensive than the probate they're trying to avoid. Because whenever you set up a structure, you have to get lawyers involved, you have to have accountants involved, sometimes you have to have a continuation of tax returns. And I, I find it's just a lot of work that people do to avoid uh, what I, I would consider a small cost as far as a, a tax cost goes. So let's do a deeper dive on avoiding probate and look at some of the things that we've seen over the years that people will do. And I think one of the first ones that I see is transferring assets directly to children before they die. Yeah. And, and so you've got a family cottage. Let's say you've got three children and you decide that you want your daughter to get the cottage. So you go down to the lawyer's office and you say, I want to change the cottage from my name to my daughter's name because I want to make sure when I die, she's the sole owner of that cottage. She's the one who's been helping me out for the last five years. She's the one who loves the cottage and I want to make sure she's looked after. So a few things, once you do that. And, and, and I get to avoid probate, right? Yeah. And the cottage is worth a million dollars. So that's a $15,000 savings. So you start off with that. So you've saved your, your, your probate, but you've triggered a taxable event. So now the cottage is triggered as being uh, deemed disposed. So whatever the gains on that cottage are going to be due that year right away. The other thing you've done is these transfers are not undoable. 
You know, you always think you're in control of your kids because when your kid's a 10-year-old, you can give them something and say, give me that back and just take it back from them, right? That's how it used to work. When you're 75 or 80 years old and you give something to one of your children and you say, okay, this isn't working how I want, just give me that back, they go, no. <laughs> the other, there's two other pieces that happen with that. And number one, if your child is married, you've actually given the asset kind of to both of them. So if their marriage suddenly breaks down, there could be a claim on that family cottage from your ex-son-in-law or your ex-daughter-in-law. Number two, once you put it in their name, they may turn around and sell it. Maybe they need the money. And so two years later, when you think that cottage is still going to be around, they could turn around and sell that cottage and take the proceeds, which would be all theirs. The family cottage that you plan on staying in the family may not stay in the family. It's just how it works. Joint ownership. You've had a situation, Mike, where you've had a lawyer or two recommend that on their open account, they put their two or three children as joint owners on that account. So again, if it's uh, to start off, they, they say, okay, well, just if something's set up with joint tenants with rights to survivorship and the person dies, it just goes to the other uh, members without probate. If it's used to avoid probate and there's a distribution done afterwards, the government can still come back and actually charge probate on it. So there, it's got to be, whenever you do this, it has to have a lot of, a lot of legalese around it. When you just add the kids onto the account too, it becomes very dangerous because everyone is at risk with all the people that are involved in that joint account. So if one of the kids gets sued, if their business gets sued and they go personal, they can take all that money. They can go after all that it's money. It's a joint account. It's a joint account, you know? And the other thing with joint accounts is is just as your bank account, you know, you go to your bank account, if you have a bank account of husband and wife, either one can go take the money out. Once your joint account, anyone can go and take the money out. So you don't have control over that. And we've seen that numerous times in divorces when we might not know what's going on and suddenly a joint account gets drained by what we think is the joint owners. Yeah. And it, in fact, one spouse is taking money away. And you can go back and try to undo it, but it's, once money is taken, it's very tough to get back. What about gifting assets to avoid probate? We've talked about some of the issues there. Is it worth the death? So, so let's say I know I've only got a year to live. Should I start gifting everything away to avoid probate? Well, if you knew for sure, if you give us the exact date and you knew everything, yeah, you could do it to, uh, to, uh, to do that. The problem is people usually don't have an exact date. And if, again, the problem with gifting is uh, it's, uh, it's not the where we can uh, gift back. It's not, you can't go and gift the money to someone and say, okay, it turned out I gave you too much money and my old age uh, home has cost me a lot more money. I need you guys to support me through that. That doesn't have to happen. So it's a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, gifting small amounts can make sense between kids. You know, a lot of times I find if we have clients who get, I'll call it a windfall, where they have, let's say they, they do decide to sell the family cottage and they're fully financially stable, they've sold the family cottage, it may be time to disperse some of the proceeds from that sale to go out and help out the family and do it equally and it, it should work out fine. What about uh, trust? Does it make sense to put some of the money into a trust to try and avoid that probate? Depends on the asset level. If you have $100 million, 
trusts are a phenomenal uh, investment. Even Maybe for if you have $10 million, million they $10 might million make sense. But when you start getting lower values, when you start uh, complicating situations like that for uh, just a million or $2 million, it begins to, the costs begin to outweigh the advantages. We always have to remember that the trust has to file its own tax return. It's like its own person. And unfortunately, the tax return is never cheap. I haven't seen too many lawyers charge less than $1,500 for a, for a trust tax return. And the other thing, too, is tax rules are always changing, right? Uh, we saw this many years ago when we set up companies. We used to have all sorts of trusts set up because trusts used to have marginal tax rates in them. So when you had a trust, uh, the trust had its own marginal tax rates. It was a phenomenal tax advantage to have trust set up. They got rid of that. And if you had a trust, it no longer made sense. So we've actually seen accountants rolling up trusts that were created basically two years afterwards. So people spend $15,000, set up a whole trust situation, and two years later, we're rolling them up because they don't make sense from a tax point of view. Beneficiary designations on registered assets, things like an RRSP, a RIF, a Registered Retirement Income Fund, or even a TFSA. So I think we've probably, you know, 99% of our clients, we've got those beneficiaries set up. But even you and I, have been, who've been doing this for a long time, have missed an opportunity. What's that, Mike? Well, secondary beneficiaries are a good idea. So this means you have, you have your wife or your spouse as your first beneficiary, but you should also set up the kids as secondary beneficiaries. And we're going to start to do that within our client base because... The one thing we found out is that if, uh, let's say, a RIF gets rolled over to a, a spouse or goes to another spouse, they have to set up a new RIF uh, because their spouse has passed away. If they're not competent to make decisions, they can't designate a beneficiary on that account. It's got to be predetermined. So this way, if you have a successor annuitant set up or successor beneficiaries, it makes it so it can alleviate that situation. So that doesn't avoid the tax when both people are gone, husband and wife, or just husband or wife, but it can avoid the probate if you've got a secondary beneficiary. Beneficiaries are a great, uh, great idea. Uh, it allows you to, number one, uh, gift without probate. It also allows you to, if you want to do things outside of your kids, if you want to gift to a charity, that's an idea. You can actually leave a charity as the beneficiary of a registered account, a TFSA or a RIF account. And it's very helpful because we always uh, say, and we'll probably mention this later, when you're set up an estate plan and you want to give charitable donations, be very cautious of leaving percentages of an estate to a charity. Because once you leave a percentage of an estate to a charity, they now have to audit your full estate. But if you leave 50% of an RSP, we get it. We just look on the day we distribute it. 50% of that uh, RSP goes to the charity that's required. I'm going to go to Wills. And this is a mistake I saw recently. Client didn't have an a, a updated will. Things had changed in their situation. A number of the people who were listed in the will weren't around anymore. They didn't want to play a role in the will. And... And then it comes time to, I, I tell the client, you know, you need to get a new will done. And the immediate response is, well, I don't want to do that. It's expensive. And it might be $1,500. It might be $2,000 to get a will done. And what they don't realize is when they're gone, you're having to deal with the government on a will. 
And we all know how difficult it is to deal with our government in any country. Canada, we find maybe more especially, but it's probably the same everywhere else. It's worth that $1,500, $2,000, 10 times over if you've got a proper will and power of attorney if something goes wrong. And eventually we're all going to die. So don't start getting cheap on one of the most important documents in estate planning. And God forbid, don't use one of these do-it-yourself items. Now, if you're going on a plane ride and you don't have a will, yeah, use a do-it-yourself. But when you get back, the very first thing you do is set up a meeting with a lawyer, get a will done, and get it done properly. The do-it-yourself wills don't know how to ask the right questions. What about setting up a company? I see this many times. People always ask, at what time should, at what point should I open a company? And sometimes they get encouraged by accountants to open up a, a, a corporate structure, and they don't have that much income. Unless you have a few hundred thousand dollars worth of income, it usually doesn't make sense to have a corporate structure. And the other thing about a corporate structure, the only real advantage to a corporate structure is if you leave the money in the company. If you're working and you're going to spend all the money that you make, there's no point in having a company set up. It doesn't do you any good. Go back to that tax return. If, if you think your personal tax return is complex, your corporate tax return is even more complex. And again, if you're going to have someone do it for you, that's going to be another $1,500 every year. So be careful not to set up a corporation if it's not required. What about, we talked on wills before, what about complex wills? What, what's, oh, what do you think? You've seen lots of wills over the years, Mike. Overly complex wills, when people get into specific gifts and things like that, and people try to equalize things through their wills, I find is a terrible idea. Because generally speaking, with when people are given to one kid, they're going to continue to give all the time to different kids. So they pick a single point in time and try to do an equalization of their estate. And generally speaking, six months later, they loaned another child some money or helped out someone else. So the, the thing that I think with wills, the easiest process to have is have a will that's very well done, that treats all the kids equally, if that's what you want to do. If you want to treat your kids equally, just have it equally split to the kids. And if you give away to one kid, give an equal amount to the other kids at the same time. If you can't afford to give to two kids, don't give to one. And that's a simple rule of thumb. I had one of those exact situations. Each of the other children had received $150,000. The client had the money available. It was more than enough. I just said, equalize it with the third child. They didn't want to do it. And the, the spouse wasn't happy about it, but, you know, the other spouse won over. Um, what about charitable gifts? Can it get too complicated? Uh, yeah. As, a, as we mentioned, uh, in wills, do not leave percentages of your will to a charity because that can get very complicated. Um, you, you know, you can, as we said, we can designate uh, RSPs, RIFs, tax savings account. You can designate a charity as the beneficiary where your estate gets the, the credit for the uh, donation, which helps reduce the taxes on your estate. Uh, also right now, we have uh, something called the advisor uh, donor accounts, and uh, they're, they're a very good idea. It just, it just allows you to go and make start your own basically foundation. You can put money into that foundation and get a single charitable receipt when you put the money in when you need the charitable receipt. Then at a later period of time, you can distribute the money from that charitable foundation that you've set up for yourself. Phenomenal idea, simplifies everything, 
if you're going to give money to a charity, it's a great idea. And also, if you donate shares that have a high capital gain, you do not have to pay tax on that capital gain. So again, for people who make regular donations every year, it's just a great idea. So we've covered a lot of estate planning ideas, um, things, mistakes people make, things to avoid doing. When it comes to the world of investing, sometimes people just love making it too complex. What are some of the things that we see people doing that just makes no sense? Oh, I watch all these strategies that are all derivative strategies with puts and calls and all this stuff. And they sound like they know what they're doing. And they just want to really sound important. <laughs> the more complicated the strategy, the worse it will probably do. You're probably not going to understand what you're doing. And someone's going to charge you a higher fee to implement a complex strategy. And that's going to impact your returns. I still go insane when people try to short the market. You know, when you've studied the market for long, if you realize that if you short the market, you have expected loss, not an expected gain. It's like going to Vegas. <laughs> so I don't know why people do it, but they still do. The last one ties into sort of what we do for a living, which is providing professional financial advice. Whether it's coming from a financial advisor, whether it's coming from a lawyer, whether it's coming from an accountant, take the advice, implement it. Don't sit on it. They're professionals. They've looked at this situation. They under, should understand your situation. And they're recommending something for a good reason. Take their advice. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.